music, Kathy asked me about the music, and if you've picked up on the theme about the love of God and what God is doing, I wanted to just take a verse that we're all familiar with. We know it. Most of us can quote it. We've heard it since we were children. John 3.16. And I just want to look at it together for a little while this morning as we think about it and understand it. You know, one of the sad things about that verse is that most of us are so familiar with it that it's lost the wonder and the awe that it ought to carry every time we hear it and every time we see those words before us. It ought to just amaze us that God is the kind of God that, that could love us in the way that he did and being a part of that. John 3.16 is one of the most profound theological statements in all the Bible. And yet we all know it's so simple that any child, anyone, can hear it and understand it and relate to it in a wondrous way. It, it is the very heart of God being poured out to us that we might know. Everything in the Old Testament moves toward John 3.16. And everything in the New Testament, all the doctrines and all the teachings of the New Testament flow out of John 3.16 as we look at it and understand the reality and all the things that are there for us to see. It is everything God wants to say. It is the most profound truth that God has given us to build our lives upon, to build our doctrine upon, our understanding upon, everything that we are as we look together. And so I just want to take it and break it down bit by bit and share a little bit with you. Not anything probably that you don't already know, but sometimes it's just good for us to remind ourselves how great is God's love for us and what it took for him to be able to demonstrate that love to us that we might be sure, that we might have confidence that God truly loves us in everything that we do and all that we are as we're part of his children. So I want you to stand with me as I just share that verse. You know it again. You can repeat it with me if you want to as we look at it, but we share together in this great verse, John 3, 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so very much this morning for this great verse that you have preserved for us that you have given to us that we might understand and, and be able to just rejoice in the wonder of a God who could love us so very much that you would give us a, such a lavish, costly gift, the gift of yourself in Jesus Christ and all that is there and all that that means to any who will believe and any who will accept it in their own lives. And so, Father, I pray this morning that even though these words are familiar, that we know them, we've heard them over and over and yet over again, and we'll probably hear them many, many more times in the span of our lives. I just pray today they could be fresh and new, they could have significance in our lives, and they could help us come, Father, before you with rejoicing and thanksgiving because of your great love for us. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You'll remember the context of this verse is that Nicodemus has come to, to Jesus and he's speaking with him and talking to him, had some questions about what was going on, trying to understand the kingdom of God and the teachings of God. You'll remember that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a very highly respected man, a man who knew religion and all the things that he needed to know about religious things and the things that were there, but he knew there was something in his life that wasn't really full, that didn't meet every need that he had, and he was seeking that, and he began to speak with Jesus and ask questions, and Jesus responded to him, being a part of that. Then we move into that part where we come and it, he, Jesus relates to him the story you'll remember of Moses in the wilderness and the brazen serpent that had to be lifted up in the wilderness for the people to be able to be saved. They'd been bitten by these poisonous snakes and they could only be saved if they looked up. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, just as that happened, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that anyone who looks to him, anyone who believes in him, anyone who turns their faith to him might be saved. 
And then that's where he moves into John 3.16 where he says, For, based upon that reality that God has sent his Son, that God's Son must be lifted up, for he, God, and we're not going to take time this morning to, to try to do all the apologetics and things that go along with the idea of God. The Bible assumes the truth of God uh, in the beginning, God in Genesis, in John chapter 1, it's Jesus was with God in the beginning and in fact is God. As we look and we see, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. The book of Romans says that any person that lives in this world has been given enough evidence to know that there is a God and so that no one is without excuse for believe, not believing that there is a God and being a part of it. So we will assume or I will assume that all of us are okay with the reality and the definition that God is real, that God is God and that he is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. And so rather than spending a lot of time there, we'll move on to the next part where it says God so loved. The word so makes it an emphatic word. It makes it something that you and I would see. It means that God has poured out unconditionally everything that he is, everything that he ever could be, all of his character, all of his nature is poured into that concept of love as he looks at it and as he understands it. It's a love so profound, the Bible tells us, as we look at it in, in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says there that we can't be separated from that kind of love. When we enter into that love with God, that nothing can separate us from that love. Not death, not life, not principalities, not powers, not anything on the earth, above the earth, anything. Nothing can separate you and me from God's love once we identify ourselves within the context of that love. As we look at it and as we see and being a part of that as we come. It's so amazing, this love, that God would have Paul write about in Ephesians chapter 3 for the people of God, for the people, the Christians in, that, in Ephesus, as he would look at it, he prayed for them. And one of the great prayers of Paul, and that, that's a good study for you to do sometime, is just go through the scriptures and study the prayers of Paul and, and look at those because he's praying for the church over and over and over and over again as he looks. But in this prayer, he prays that the people of God might understand God's love, that they might get a hold of the breadth of the love of God and the length of the word of God and the height of the word of God and the depth of the love of God so that that love might fully and completely fill them and help them to understand how great is God's love for them. And it's a love beyond comprehension. And there's no way that I can give it words that can make us understand the, the fullness and the wonder of it. But that's what Paul was praying for you and for me because the word is eternal. That prayer meets our needs and speaks to our hearts just as much as it did that day to the Ephesians as he prayed it for them as they look at it. God longs for us to have a grip, to get a hold of how great is his love. He so loved loved us, the Bible says, that he gave. The great, great gift, a, a gift so lavish and so amazing as we would look at it. He, he gave it, with, not without cost. See, a gift is something you and I can receive, but to get that gift, someone has to pay for it. And God paid an amazing price for that gift that you and I might be able to have. And he, tells, he reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that this wasn't a gift that was purchased with silver or gold or things that perish in this world, but rather it was re, we are redeemed, we were purchased by the love of God, by the very ransom blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the sacred blood of an unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ, without sin. That's what God paid for us, to be able to give us this gift. And a gift is something that you can receive or you can refuse it, but that's all you can do. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't inherit it. It's not yours because of the family that you belong to, the church that you go to. It has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself that I receive this gift. I take what God offers to me in Christ Jesus, and I accept it for myself as we look at it and as we understand. So God gives us this gift. And what is the gift that he gives us? That he gave his only begotten son. 
Wow, what a gift. What an amazing thing God has done that God would pour himself out to you and me in Christ Jesus and being a part of that. Paul couldn't get his head around it either as he looked at it and he thought about it. And he said this indescribable, this unspeakable, this amazing gift and that word unspeakable is the only time it's used in the New Testament because he was struggling, he was trying to find how can you talk about this gift that God's given to us? How can you even begin to imagine in your mind how great God must love us that he would give his only son to pour out his life for you and to me, the lavishness of it. It's, it's so undeniable, it's so indescribable, it's so amazing that we flutter for words and it's so great, it's so unspeakable because of who the gift is, Jesus Christ. God incarnate who came and dwelt upon this earth. It's, it's unspeakable because of all that this gift did for you and for me. He went to the cross, a sinless, perfect sacrifice so that your sins and my sins could be paid for. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to die. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. What a, what a gift, the gift of God, eternal life that we have because of Jesus Christ. It's what He did for us. He, he came, He lived, He died for us that we might be able to know that our sins have been paid for, that the condemnation that we deserve is not ours any longer, but it was placed upon Him as we look at Him and we see that gift. And the result of that gift is that you and I have the privilege to be forgiven, we have the privilege to be received back into the family of God as we were separated by our sin. We have the privilege to know that we have been redeemed. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been born into the family of God. We are a part of His family. The Bible says in John 1.12 that we have the power, the authority, the right to be the very children of God because of what He did for us upon the cross of Calvary. It has removed God's judgment and our guilt from us because He put it all upon the Lord Jesus Christ and He paid for that. It has given us joy, unspeakable peace that passes understanding. It has given us a home and eternity for all time. And on and on I could go this morning about all the things that we have received from this gift because of what God did for us in Jesus Christ, because of the work that he accomplished for you and for me as he gave himself for us, that we might understand that God gave his son. And it's important that we understand that it was his son that he gave. See, it couldn't just be any sacrifice. Even in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were supposed to be without blemish. They were supposed to be the best that could be offered. As we read through the Old Testament, we find many times that the people wandered from God's expectations and God's desire, and they gave less than their best. But that was what it was supposed to be. But see, it had to be someone without sin. It had to be someone that was so perfect that only God could do that. Moses, you'll remember, when the children of Israelites, the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were wondering and always murmuring and complaining and always fussing about things. And the Bible tells us that, that God came to a point where he was just ready to wipe them out. Say, I'm just going to get rid of all of them and we'll just start over with you, Moses. And you'll remember what Moses did? God, if you're going to do that, take me instead. I offer my life in their place. Don't take them, take me. That's a great gesture, but it wouldn't work because Moses was a sinner. And a sinner can't be given for a redemption. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 9 about Israel. He wanted so desperately for the Jews to come to know Christ, to understand that he was the promised Messiah, to realize that all their hopes and all their dreams and everything they'd looked forward to is found in Jesus. And he said, I would wish that I could be accursed if my fellow Jews could just learn to know who Jesus really is. 
Again, what a heart, what an amazing willingness to sacrifice himself, but it couldn't work. It, it was not acceptable because Paul was a sinner. And there's probably not anyone in this room who wouldn't, without even a moment's hesitation, offer your life for a member of your family, for a loved one, for anyone, to be sure that even in a physical way you could save their life, but certainly in a spiritual way to make sure they were redeemed, that heaven was their home. You would jump at the opportunity if you could make a difference in their life by offering your life, you'd give it up to make sure they had what they had, but it won't work because we're sinners. And we can't offer ourselves for someone else. Every person has to make that understanding that this gift that's been offered in Jesus Christ is a gift that I can have, I can possess, I can have all the benefits of it, but I myself have to receive it and accept it through the one who gave himself for me, Jesus Christ. The only one that could do that. The only one that could provide for me the salvation that I needed. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then here's an amazing truth, that whosoever. That is one of the most outlandish statements in all the Bible. You know why? Because that means me. That means I can receive the gift of God. That means I can be under the love of God and the forgiveness of God. I can be called a child of God. I can know that heaven is my home because God so loved me. We know, and we don't have any question, that God's love is for all people of all time throughout the world. Everybody is under the encompassing invitation of God to experience His love. All people are. But what we need to get a hold of, and what we need to remember every single day, in awe and wonder and thanksgiving, is that that means me. That old hymn that some people used to sing a lot of, Whosoever surely meaneth me. That's what it's talking about. It means me means you. We have the opportunity to be redeemed. We have the opportunity to know the love of God. It's, it's something personal. It's something for me to grab a hold of. It's something for me to live within the context with, that God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. We could say instead of whosoever this morning, if we were re-quoting that verse and we came to that place that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, instead of saying whosoever, you have the right, the privilege, the authority to put your name there. Because that's what he's saying. That God so loved the world that he gave his son for you that if you, if you would accept that gift, if I would accept that gift, what a great privilege and honor that is. That he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him. And we know this morning, as all of us are aware of the fact, that to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ isn't meaning to give mental assent to that's not believing in Jesus Christ. It's not to, to say I believe certain facts about Jesus. I believe he really was a man who lived upon the face of the earth. I believe he did great and wonderful things. I believe he might have even done miracles. He was a great teacher. He did amazing things. I believe he came to, to try to help mankind. We can say I believe all kinds of things about God. We can build our lives around doctrines that we say we believe about God. But that's not what that verse is talking about. It's talking about I, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ means to invest my life completely and fully and totally in the person of who he is. Not things about him, but him, himself. To believe in him, to give my life to him, to give all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, my present and my past and my future, all has to be given to him with complete trust and confidence and to be able to say to him, to be able to say like Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I... 
But the life that has lived in me, I live through the power of the life of Christ. It's Christ in me. It's his life that has been poured into me by the grace of God as he came to me, as he came to love me and to give his life to me, to believe that he is sufficient to be able to bring salvation to me and have that understanding, to believe that it's only in Christ can I find salvation. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, you'll remember, the scripture says there's been no other name given among men under heaven whereby we can be saved but the name of Jesus. And John, Jesus himself said in John 14 verse 6, no man comes to the Father except that he comes through me. So to believe in Jesus Christ is to acknowledge he is the only means of salvation. He is the only way that a person can be right with God. He is the only way to experience forgiveness. He is the only way that I can have my life cleansed and renewed and brought forth before God acceptable and holy by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so we understand that he's talking about more than just giving a mental assent to, but giving my life to, to believe in him, to entrust myself to him, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Now the Bible makes it clear, we could read, and I'm not taking time to read all these passages this morning, but we could take turn to 1 Corinthians, we could turn to 2 Corinthians, we could turn to 2 Thessalonians, and many other places, and in those, in those books of the Bible, the scripture makes it very clear that those who are without Christ are already perishing. See, every person you know without Jesus Christ in their life is a person who is in the process of perishing. We were in that process ourselves before we came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. We were perishing. We were without hope. John, if we continued reading John chapter 3, we would find ourselves there, signing about that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he goes on to say those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those who don't accept him for he is, are condemned already. It's, a, it's an already done fact. Without Jesus Christ, we live in condemnation that we are without hope, that we have nothing to do. The Bible says that we live within a perishing world. But the promise of the New Testament, the promise of this verse in John 3.16 is that those who take this gift unto themselves, those who receive Christ, those who trust the love of God unto themselves, they will not continue in that state of perishing and they will not eternally perish because they will have instead another kind of gift as they look at it. And the Bible tells us that that's God's desire. In Timothy, the Bible tells us that God's desire is that all men should come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says that God's not slack concerning slackness. Some people think that he is, but rather his desire, his will, his purpose is that all people everywhere would come to know Jesus Christ. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to him. But they are perishing, they are dying, they are going into a judgment that is eternal without him unless they accept that gift. And unless you and I can say without any doubt in our minds, I have truly, fully, completely given my life to Jesus Christ, I have trusted him and him only as my Savior, then we are still in that state of perishing ourselves. The word tells us that we shouldn't perish, but rather that we will have. That word have means right now, currently. It's not a gift that I'm waiting for. It's not when I die someday I'll have all the things that God promised. But I have currently, right now, this very moment, the gift that God has promised. It is mine. I possess it. You possess it. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, whoever believes in Him and accepts Him won't perish, but rather instead they will have, they will possess, they will hold on to something that cannot be removed from them. It is theirs by the gift of God. And what is that gift? Eternal life. That they will have. You and I, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, if we truly have trusted Him, then we have in this very moment already possessed eternal life. 
we're living it out. And certainly it's not all that it's going to be. It's a whole lot better there than it is here. We all know that. But the fulfillment of it, the, the possession of it, the reality of it is already ours. We possess it. It belongs to us. Eternal life. And when it talks about eternal life, it's not just talking about how long a person lives. The Bible makes it very clear in, once in, the, in that sense that everybody lives eternally. There's no one that doesn't live eternally. It's just a matter of where you live. If you live Jesus Christ, you live eternally under the condemnation of God. In judgment, in a place prepared for Satan and all of his demons. If you accept Christ, you live with him eternally. So the eternal part is for everybody. But the word eternal, as God uses it here in John, is a word that doesn't just speak simply to the duration of life, but the fullness of life, the, the quality of life. The abundance of life. You'll remember Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have that life in its abundance, that you might have it in its fullness, that you might have all that God has to offer, that every gain God has promised. The scripture says in Jesus Christ is yes. All my promises are fulfilled in him and everything I have said I will do, I will do in Christ as we look and as we see and understand that. And so it's a promise that is ours that we shall live with eternal life and, and the things that are there for us. So there's not any condemnation for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, that therefore those who are in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation the scripture tells us that God has made an amazing transaction the most amazing of uh, 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 profound transaction that's ever been made in, the, in all of eternity God has taken your sin and my sin and placed it upon the Lord Jesus Christ and caused him to become sin that you and I might be in the righteousness of God 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says that, that God made him Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, had no concept of what sin was because he knew no sin in his own life, but he made him to be sin in order that he could place upon him all of the wrath and all of the judgment and everything that you and I deserve poured out upon him so that we would never have to face that. And all that was forgiven and wiped from our lives because of what God did for us and being a part of, of that great gift that he's given to us in Jesus Christ. And so we know and we hear and we understand what he says as he looks at it. For God, the creator, that one who is above all things and beyond all things, the one who cannot be imagined and there's no one that can be compared to him or nothing that can be compared to him in any way, this God who is above everything, who is creator of all that is by the spoken word, this God so loved you and so loved me that he gave. Free gift. Didn't cost us anything. It cost him everything. He gave His only begotten Son that God poured Himself out in human flesh upon this earth that He might live a life without sin to demonstrate that He was acceptable, to demonstrate that He could give Himself purely as a sacrifice that would be acceptable before God. And God receiving that sacrifice could then offer to us justification and forgiveness in all those great terms that we hear about in the Bible. All are ours because of what God did in Christ Jesus, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that if you and if I would receive Christ, that we wouldn't perish. We wouldn't live in the existence of perishing now and we wouldn't have to face the eternal perishing that comes with judgment, but rather we would have already now in our possession eternal life, both in duration certainly, but more especially also in quality, in wonder, in awe, in fullness, to know I am a child of God now and forever because God so loved me.
that he gave his son for me. Can you imagine that? That God, the creator of the universe, so loves you that he chose to pour himself into flesh knowing he would put himself upon a cross and suffer humiliation and pain and all the things that go with crucifixion. But far worse than any of that was the awareness, the knowledge that he would accept upon himself willingly, freely, completely the wrath, the holy judgment of God poured out upon him so that he would never we would never have to face that in our own lives if we'd take that gift. That's what Hebrews talks about. For the joy that was before him, he was crucified. What was the joy? You. You and I are the joy that was before him. The joy of knowing that we were redeemed. The joy of knowing that the plan of God had been put into place, that the plan of God had defeated Satan, that, that we were the people of God because now we could be forgiven, now we could be accepted, now we could be God's people forever and forever because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The, old, the gospel song, he paid a debt I could not pay because I, I don't have any means by which I can offer to God anything. The very best of my righteousness is but filthy rags in the eyes of God. I have nothing that I can bring to Him that's acceptable except the confession I am a child of God. I have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've been washed in the blood. I have been redeemed. I have taken the gift that you've extended to me in Christ and I have received it unto myself. And I stand in your presence in that knowledge, in that understanding. Not anything of me, but everything of him, of what he did. God so loved you and me that he gave willingly, freely, at great cost, everything that he is in Christ Jesus. That if I would believe that, if I would accept that truth, that I could have everlasting life, eternal life. What a gift. What a God. What amazing love that he has for us. I'd like to pray with you for a few moments, and then we're going to have a moment of invitation, a time for you to respond to anything maybe God's doing in your own heart, in your own life time for you if you've never put your faith your life your trust totally and completely in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if you've looked to church membership or inheritance or whatever it may be to be the reason why you're right with God that's not going to work you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yourself if you've never done that if you've never acknowledged your own sinfulness and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior you need to do that today because he's extended to you a gift that is yours and that all you have to do is receive it. And you need to receive that gift because it makes all the difference in eternity. Or whatever your needs may be, you may need to recommit your life. You may have someone you need to pray with or for, something that needs to be done. I don't know what all God may be doing in each of your hearts as we think together, as we meet together, as you week by week pray for one another and encourage one another, the things that are going on. If there's something you need to do in a public way, if you just need to come to the altar and pray, whatever you need to do, 
we're going to have just a few moments for you to do that to get in whatever way God wants you to do and understand that. But pray with me, and then we'll stand, and we'll have invitation hymn number 90, share his love as we have that opportunity. But pray with me at this moment. Father, I thank you again for this great, great love that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. What an amazing gift. I know, Father, that nothing I can say or have said could ever even begin to scratch the surface of the tremendous truths that are found within the context of those few words that you so loved us that you gave. Your only son. That if we would believe that gift, if we would accept that gift, that we wouldn't perish, but rather we would possess now and forever eternal life as your gift to us through Jesus Christ. My prayer is, Father, that if there's anyone in this place this morning that has never trusted Christ, anyone that might be viewing by Facebook or whatever other means that they might have the opportunity to hear this message or to know your word, that they would respond and say, I've never truly put my faith in Christ. I've trusted my righteousness. I've trusted my church membership. I've trusted my works. I've trusted this or that. The fact that all my family are Christians, I assumed I was too. Whatever it may be, Father, just wipe out all those excuses. And help them to see within their own heart what you see. And if they've never fully trusted you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they would do so. And Father, those of us who can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know Christ Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. May we rejoice together. May we celebrate together. May we, in gratitude and humbleness before you, just say thank you again for such an amazing gift that's been given to us. May we never take it for granted. May we never let it grow dim in our sight. But may it fulfill our hearts and our lives in all the things that we do. And may we share that great message with anyone and everyone that we can at every chance that we can. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.